On this week's episode of the podcast, I tell Drew and all of you listeners a story about soccer in a country that does not exist. Genovia? Exactly. So buckle up, Anne Hathaway, because this is Deadball Brothers. Welcome to Deadball Brothers, a weekly podcast about soccer and history and sometimes classic Anne Hathaway films with a healthy, healthy dose of stupidity. Part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and presented by your favorite soccer hoodlums, me, myself, everyone's favorite soccer content freelance creator guy, Adam Whitaker Snavely, joined as always by my real life brother, Drew Snavely and... uh... Uh, or Drew Snavely, the contender for WTF3L, Ooh. because your boy's in striking distance. Could have been a contender spot. I could have been somebody. That's you know, a, we had a, that's a different I, movie. I had a terrible week last week, so I was in first actually, but dropped to fourth. Oof. So, but only off the pace by thirteen points, or no, not even thirty-seven points. Maths. <laughs> two plus two is four. One is one is three. Quick maths. <laughs> I uh, I just actually pulled the ripcord on my wild card because my team was not Ooh. great. I kept expecting John Stones to come back and actually play. <laughs> and Guardiola kept saying, "Hey, screw you, buddy." Um, amongst amongst a bunch of other things that just needed to be changed. Uh, so I I pulled the wild card last week and it worked out for me because I actually had a really good week. Uh, yeah, seventy six points. Yeah, I'm um, seeing right now. You and the other dead ball brother Luke Snavely are tied right now at forty seventh <laughs> overall. Ooh, okay, that's a <laughs> that's a low bar to clear. I feel like not no disrespect <laughs> to Luke, but uh, he was not close to. <laughs> To the Adam and Drew's Navely Derby last year, so I would like to uh, get back in contention with my previous crown. Personally, you guys, speaking. you guys are actually sixty nine points behind me. You can't make this up. Are we really? Yeah, yeah. That's phenomenal. <laughs> everybody, everybody, say it with me: three, two, one. Nice. Nice. We love <laughs> to see that. Yes, WTF three L is raging onwards. Um, Cowboy Mebop, my team is not doing so hot right now, but we are coming back. Drew is obviously doing a lot better than most of us. You know, um, it's pretty lonely at the top, but I like it that way. Um, I I do want to say that Stir, the team name is Stir by Todd Metcalf, um, is is number one overall. Oh, shout Um, out Todd. Shots out to Todd. Good job. And you could also still be involved in W23L if you have an FPL team and you're listening to this. You can always join the league at any time. It's still pretty early in the season. So go ahead and hop on over to our Twitter space and also in general, most of our social media presence. We usually will have it listed somewhere. Uh, and if you can't find it, you can always DM me and I'll just send you the code. I'll get you in there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Adam, soccer is happening 
Um, soccer is happening. It is in it is in full force. You know, soccer soccer is happening at this very second as we speak. Um, the U.S. women's national team scored five goals against Paraguay in the first fifteen minutes of their game tonight. Yes, uh, real, real, just very down bad hours for Paraguay, but uh, good for good for the U.S. Uh, Rose Lavelle looks like she is. Just putting on a skyline chili bloodbath out there, which oh, makes man. sense because she is in her hometown of Cincinnati and their truly putrid offering of skyline chili, which <laughs> will never be good. No matter what you say, no matter what you think about it, if you think that skyline chili is good, you are incorrect and may God have mercy on your intestines. <laughs> oh, gosh, dude. Love Rose Lavelle. Rose is great. Uh, man City messed up. <laughs> that's, that's all i gotta say man city messed up uh but yeah soccer is happening uh Borussia dortmund pulled an exciting 4-2 draw uh 4-2 draw nah yeah that's good good talking adam good words they pulled an exciting 4-2 win a victory over one of their bundesliga boogeymen over the last year and a half or so union berlin uh, which was nice. It was exciting. They looked like they were going to fumble it away, and then they scored more goals, uh, which is really just their whole MO this year. They realize how bad they are on defense, and so they say, we're going to try to score more than you. Sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. But this weekend, it worked, and I will accept it. Honestly, that's that's the way I wish all teams played because it really makes games more exciting. Uh, Manchester United managed to squeak one out against... <laughs> West Ham. Yeah. Jesse Jesse Lingard, the villain from the Champions League matchup versus uh Young Boys, uh, Young boys. giving a excellent through ball to Jordan Peefock. Jordan Peefock. What's and, up? <laughs> and um French absolutely demoralizing um thrashing the hopes of Manchester United getting a point when they were down to 10 men away um when he when he passed the ball away to Pfock and yep. Pfock did the rest and young boys won that match but That's Jesse Lingard scored boys. a banger in the 89th minute versus West Ham uh which was enough to see the uh the old boys in red the red devils <laughs> the old through. boys as opposed to the young boys as opposed to the young boys. I think my I think the funny thing about the Jesse Lingard goal was how he wasn't celebrating and how his teammates kept like throwing him around <laughs> trying to get him to celebrate. And he was like, Oh, I'm trying to do that thing where I don't celebrate against a former club because West Ham gave me I mean West Ham did give him basically yeah. his ticket back into Manchester United. It didn't Absolutely. look like he would ever play for them again and suddenly oh. like He's kind of an important sub piece off the bench for them again. Yeah, he's a, and, he can be an impact sub now. Uh, and if any injuries happen, he will certainly be in line for more playing time. You have to have a deep squad when you are playing as many games as Manchester United will be playing. So obviously, nice to see him, I guess, try to pay tribute a little bit to David Moyes and the Boyes at West Ham <laughs> United. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was like everybody on Manchester United was very intent on making him celebrate. He's like, no. <laughs> Be happier. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he, um, you know, I have no doubt that Jesse Lingard will be a world beater for the squad in Europa League when Manchester United, Manchester United finished third in their Champions League group. <laughs> <laughs> still think? You still think that's going to happen? You uh, think they're not going to advance? 
I don't know, dude. Who's in their Champions League group? Okay, well, that's the thing. We should advance because it's Young Boys, uh, Atalanta, who is decent. Yeah, they're kind of um, like the they're the, they're the new hip club yeah. to support over the last like three or four years. And uh, Villarreal, who we lost to in Europa final. You sure did, sure as heck did. Remember <laughs> that? Um, so, yeah, Manchester United, no excuses, should get out of that group. No, you definitely should. You definitely should. I think that you are reading a little bit too much into the young boys incident that occurred. Um, Aaron Wan Basaka, man, he he ruined it for all of us. And un, un, by all of us, I mean the Manchester United fans. I'm sure everybody was very thrilled. What I would <laughs> give to go back to the halcyon days of Aaron Juan Bissaka being worth 4.0 in FPL and him just being the key to your Premier League fantasy oh, team's success man. at Crystal Palace. Then he went to Manchester United and he immediately became a 6.0 player or at least a 6.0 price player, if not a 6.0 player. yeah. yeah. It's what ridiculous. can you do? What can one do? Yeah. What can one Basaka do? Oh, come no, on. That's okay. terrible. I'm we should sorry. move on I'm now. So, we should, we should so quickly pass that. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. Oh, I did want to say that De- David De Gea did save a penalty in like the 93rd minute. And it oh, was he did. First, it was his first penalty save in like 13 years or 14 years. Like in wow. an act, in actual regulation, because he's gotten like penalty stops in a uh, in Shoot like out. shootouts, sure. but he hasn't stopped a penalty for Manchester United at least in like fourteen years. He's terrible okay. at saving penalties. He's like Good. the worst at saving penalties. But thankfully, David Moyes was trying to get a little cheeky, cheeky. subbed on Mark Noble. I will to say, take the penalty. <laughs> I, okay, okay. Yeah, he did sub on Mark Noble and immediately said about to take the penalty, which, as we know from England's Euro run, isn't like the super greatest course of action all the time. But I will say that the penalty wasn't that bad. Like It was a good save. It was a like, good save. Like Mark Noble's penalty, it wasn't like he like weakly hit it to one side or just like scuffed the shot or it wasn't or it was off the target completely. It was like pretty solidly struck. It was not like a soft penalty like he he that thing was moving and David Gea just made a good save on it yeah I, I know that a lot of people say that there aren't uh there aren't good saves when it comes to penalties there are only bad penalties no there are good saves. there there are some good saves and There's I thought that, that was a good sa- that was a good save yeah so, so shouts out to David David De Gea David De Gea hope it hope it uh continues his upward trajectory because he's had a good season so far for us True that, uh, and and I wish him nothing but the best unless he's playing my team, in which case <laughs> I hope that he lets in all the penalties uh, and that Erling Holland scores a billion goals on him. Yeah, well, that shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be because Erling Holland has figured out how to do things other than counterattack this year, and everybody should be terrified of him. <laughs> he's like heading the ball into the goal now. It's wild. <sighs> he never used to do that, despite the fact that he's six foot a billion. It's going to be so awesome seeing him at Real Madrid. It's going to be so much fun. Hey, man, so maybe uh, maybe Manchester United. Everybody, literally every Manchester United fan on my timeline after uh, Chelsea signed Lukaku and the whole Manchester City, Harry Kane, will they, won't they thing was happening. They're like, said he's going after Kane. Chelsea's going over, going after Lukaku. That means we get Holland next year. <laughs> like, all and right. We signed the worst person ever. 
Well, hey, you know, he is scoring goals for you. He's scoring yeah. goals for you. Don't feel good about it. But. but you know what? We don't have to feel good about the present on this podcast because we're here to talk about the past, baby. Yeah, let's talk about fake countries where Ooh, soccer yeah. is played, Adam. Absolutely. I, I, I can tell you all about that. Now, I must say that this is uh, the first date on my story is um, in 1812. So we are going back quite a ways at the very beginning. But this is kind of a shout to recent events uh, and and very recent, actually, very recent Champions League events, which we okay. have already talked about a little bit uh, with Manchester United and Young Boys uh, on the same, I don't know if it was the same match day, on the same match week. Another Champions League game played out. And that was interesting. I saw a lot of people talking about it. I read some things about it, and I thought to myself, you know what? I had something else that I was going to do for this week, but current events being what they are, I want to delve a little bit into the history. So, Drew, yes. we're going back to the Treaty of Bucharest, 1812. War of 1812, baby. The a different war that actually <laughs> concluded in 1812. Ah, yes, while okay. we were busy fighting the Canadians, uh, which were the English. They were just in Canada, and they came down and burned the White House. That's what happened in the War of 1812 before we beat them. Uh, after six years of war between Turkish forces and Russian forces in the Russo-Turkish War, uh, I believe it was that was the name, the Russo-Turkish War, uh, the Russian Empire and the Ottoman Empire, which was still a thing in 1812. Crazy. I didn't even realize that that was the case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ottoman Empire still around uh, when America was around, which is a funny thing to think about. Yeah, because it feels like a an ancient civilization. Yeah, because I mean, it, I mean, you you are it is you are literally talking about an ancient civilization. You're like going back to like the Crusades and stuff. <laughs> if you have if you have empire in your name still, you're ancient. That's yeah. Well, then the both of these. Both of these are ancient because we're talking about the Russian <laughs> Empire, which was still the Russian Empire at the time. They had kings okay. and stuff. They had czars. They didn't have kings. They had czars. Yes. yes. Uh, and the Ottoman Empire. Uh, so this war, which lasted six years, ended uh, with the Treaty of Bucharest, in which the Ottomans, who definitely lost the war, Russia definitely won this war. Uh, the Ottomans ceded a bunch of land over to the Russian Empire in exchange for, hey, the war's over, now we'll stop uh, trying to kill each other. Um, this included parts of the current state of Moldova, which is very important to what we are talking about today. The current Champions League darlings, Sheriff Tiraspol, who yes. just beat Shakhtar Donetsk of Ukraine. Yes. Now, the Treaty of Bucharest, as far as I can tell, signals the entry of Russian influence on the region of eastern Moldova, where Tiraspol is located, a region referred to as Transnistria. Uh, after being unified with Romania for a while, all of that region eventually became absorbed by the Soviet Union in the 20th century, because basically all of Eastern Europe was the Soviet Union uh, at that point in time. Uh, and the official Moldovian Soviet Socialist Republic, which is what the, I, it wasn't, I don't know if it was technically, I, I get, I don't remember my exact history lessons on what were considered countries and what wasn't. 
in within the Soviet Union, but there was this the Moldova region basically was part of the Soviet Union, but it was called the Moldovian Soviet Socialist Republic. Okay. And that was founded in 1940, right towards the beginning of the Second World War. Okay. Um, so that's when Russia was kind of like consolidating a lot of power along Eastern Europe. And then eventually when you had Germans trying to push into Russian territory and Russian influence territory, uh, Russians eventually fought back in the Eastern front and uh, the Germans got screwed because they were then fighting a war on either side of themselves. <laughs> Um, classic <laughs> no, which was not the play it wasn't no, the play no. all, all told <laughs> so fast forward another half century and i'm sorry for all this background but i think that it's important <laughs> because of how this all eventually plays yeah, out no that's good so fast forward another half century to the end of the soviet union and the rise of independent nationalist movements amongst its territories spurred along by Mikhail Gorbachev's glasnost and perestroika policies, which are Russian words that you probably learned in a global history class at one or two points along the way. Basically, but definitely forgot. <laughs> yeah, you definitely forgot. Basically, all you need to know about those policies was that Miguel, Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the last, um, I don't know if it was, president or another word for the head of the Soviet Union, but he was the last head of the Soviet Union as a whole. Um, and under his rule, basically, he started opening up the country, both in terms of its relations with the outside world and specifically the West, and also how open and free and available political movements and elections and stuff were within the Soviet Union because everything was very insular up to that point and kind of made sure that the status quo was maintained and the ruling Communist Party stayed in power and this kind of opened things up and it gave way to a bunch of countries that used to be countries or separate states from Russia saying, we kind of feel like we should be our own thing again, you know? Okay, yeah. So that's that's what was happening basically everywhere in Eastern Europe uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. All of these countries. So what was Yugoslavia uh, and Czechoslovakia, which both of those countries now no longer exist either because they've been divided into further smaller countries. Um, the Moldovas of the world, the Latvias, Estonias, Lithuanias, the Romanias, Bulgarias, all of these places. I'm pretty sure Bulgaria. I can't actually remember if they were part of the Soviet Union. I think they were. Um, so a lot of these, a lot of the Eastern European countries were trying to gain independence at this time. And Moldova was no exception. Um, so the Mo Moldovian Soviet Socialist Republic after a slew of law changes within the Soviet Socialist Republic, which included changing the official language of the state from Russian to Moldovan, which is pretty much, as far as I can tell, Moldovan is Romanian. They're the same language. They just call it Moldovan in Moldova. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that is, that is, it's, it's kind of like if, if, we started calling English American. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was definitely invented in England. It, it's the birthplace, but we're going to call it American. Yeah. As far as I can, yeah, as far as I can tell, it's more or less the same language. Obviously there's going to be some 
regional dialects and stuff like that, but it's pretty much Romanian as far as I can tell. If you are Moldovan and that is incorrect, I'm very, very sorry. Uh, my research is to turn that up and feel free to just take me to absolute pieces in the comments or in, <laughs> on Twitter or something like that. Now, Moldova finally declared independence after uh, there was a failed KGB coup, which attempted to overthrow Mikhail Gorbachev and assume control of the Soviet Union in 1991. Basically, the KGB and a bunch of Mikhail Gorbachev's cabinet members saw that he was kind of trending towards dissolving the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union in general. And they're like, no, we can't have that. And they tried to stage a coup. It didn't work, and they all got arrested. Um, nice. Unfortunate <laughs> for them. <laughs> now, the Moldovan independence movement enjoyed immense popularity in Moldova. And soon, Russian was removed as an official language of the country altogether. It, at first, it was like the official language of the country is Moldovan with Russian as like a a, a co-language kind of thing. Okay. And then they're like, no more Russian whatsoever. <laughs> uh, well, we're, we're not speaking any Russian here. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's just kind of what they decided. It was, it was kind of like a very like, I don't know. It, it, I think it was more or less like, let's make a clean break thing. Um, okay. I think that that was one of the big movers behind uh, that, that particular law change. And they created a new flag for themselves, which, I mean, makes sense. Uh, and it was created, and it signified Moldova's old ties with Romania, because at one point they were the same country, uh, and they obviously share a very similar, if not the same exact language. Um, so the new flag of Moldova actually shared the same colors as Romania's flag. However, okay. yeah. However, that's what I thought. I, sorry, sorry to interject, no, no, no. but, um, you know, we were watching Eurovision together. And Moldova had a competitor in, yep. in it. And I remember seeing the flag and being like, oh, that's literally Romania's. Like, yeah, there's just like a different crest in the middle. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure. Oh, actually, is Romania's flag horizontal stripes? No, no, they're vertical. Are they? Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at I'm just looking it up because now oh no you're right they are vertical yeah, yeah. so Moldo so Romania's flag is just the kind of like that cobalt blue gold and red, um, and then Moldova's flag is the same exact thing the same exact colors and the same exact order but there is a crest in the middle of the center stripe so it's kind of like a it's kind of like a Mexico and Italy situation. <laughs> yeah, or like um, Ecuador and Colombia and um, I think El Salvador too. Like they all have very, or not El Salvador. It's uh, no. it's El, El Salvador and um, Venezuela. No, 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 no. El Salvador and Honduras have almost the same exact flag. No, 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 no. Yes, yes. El Salvador in Central America yeah, in Concacaf. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I was thinking, I was thinking South America. Ecuador, South America, South Ecuador, America, Colombia, Ecuador, Colombia, and Venezuela, Venezuela. have a very yeah, similar yeah. flag. They have yeah. similar colors and et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So funny uh, how that happens. Little flag nerdum decide, yeah. aside. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Moldova was making moves to kind of signify its return to how we're traditionally not really a Russian country. We're much more like Romania, basically. Yeah. Um, that, that that's that's pretty much the long and the short of it. Um, okay. That's important because this was 
supported widely in Moldova, except in a couple of places, including Transnistria, this place where Tiraspol is located, which we had mentioned earlier. Transnistria and the people that controlled it were actually not supportive of the independence movement at all. Okay. This region was much more heavily Russian ethnically, and Russian was actually a much more dominant language in the region. It is the very eastern border of Moldova, and it's right up – it shares a border with Ukraine. So it's it's basically the this place where you would expect there to be more Russian-speaking people uh, because yeah. it is closer to Russia. <laughs> yeah, that uh, makes sense. And Ukraine, which was – also uh, Russia until Ukraine gained independence from them. To add to this, many factory leaders and politicians in Transnistria held stronger political and military ties to the Soviet Union. A lot of them were former Soviet soldiers. So as Moldova prepared to gain independence, Transnistria was planning on breaking away from Moldova. (laughs) Okay. we're we're getting into some real Cold War vacuum power studies now. Yeah. Um, Transnistria Transnistria elected its first president Igor Smirnov, which is nice. not did not make the liquor. He just shared the name ah, with the bad. liquor people. Yeah, Igor Smirnov, who was a former Soviet lieutenant uh, and was the head of an electrical manufacturer in Tiraspol. Uh, which was the capital and still is the capital of Transnistria. Um, They elected their first president. And originally the way that this all played out was the, the people in Transnistrians were trying to do things in terms of electing officials to Moldovan parliament. And then as time kind of went on in 1989, 1990, 1991, they realized that Moldova was going just like full out. We're not, Apart. we're not we're not soviet anymore we're not russian anymore like we are moldova and the people in transnistria were like no no you're not no we're <laughs> russian um or at least we're transnistrian and not all this um yeah. so this is i am I'm, I'm condensing a lot of like really complex political things as much as i yeah. can here yeah um i'm i might be glossing over some things that i'm not getting the exact the exact um What's the word? The, the exact inflections, the exact political delicacies, correct? Um, but this is kind of the broad strokes of it. Yeah. Uh, so they elected their first leader uh, who would become their president for a couple decades, actually, eventually. Um, now, they elected this. Moldova and Transnistria had a brief war over all of this, actually, as one does. Uh which saw small skirmishes over the course of a couple of years, but really the only actual fighting or like the real fighting, like the stuff that you could actually classify as kind of like, Oh, this was a war, uh, took place mostly between March, 1992 and June, 1992. So Adam Snavely was one years old at the time. Nice. Uh, and in July of 192, the conflict more or less ended Transnistria basically won control of what is considered Transnistria. Uh, and Moldova kind of agreed to just leave them alone. But okay. Transnistria, despite the fact that they said we're an independent nation, were not recognized 
as so, an independent state by anybody, including so Moldova. I was going to say, uh, by world standards, they are still technically a part of Moldova. Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay. And, and a ton of the coverage of Sheriff Tiraspol has been that they are the first Moldovan side to uh, make the Champions League group stage. And they're which like, is we're not Moldovan. <laughs> technically correct, but the people in Transnistria would not say that they're Moldovan. <laughs> oh, man. It's like uh, Catalonia's dream, right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's it's like, except it's like, I feel like it's even like further away from like Catalonia or like Kosovo or something like that. Like it's like, it's not even like a, a partially accepted state by a lot of people. It's like nobody accepts Transnistria as its own nation. Okay. There, there, there might be a couple of countries or two. I don't, Russia might recognize them. I don't, I don't actually know if they do or not, but it's like, it's not even like, oh, this is a partially recognized state. It's like, no, this is almost universally an unrecognized state. And it's still considered part of Moldova legally almost everywhere. However, Moldova doesn't really go there. Like, uh, <laughs> like, okay. like, it's like Moldova- if West Virginia was like, we're not a part of America anymore. And everybody in there is like, all right, we're not a part of America anymore. But everybody's like, no, you're still a part of America. You're literally surrounded by Americans. But but everybody, <laughs> but at the same time, everybody was like, yeah, like we'll let you believe that because <laughs> you're West Virginia and you suck. Like, and it's and it's not a and it's not. I mean, I mean, there are some good parts of West Virginia. Yeah, there there's there's some, there are some uh, wild and wonderful places in West. Respect Virginia. to John Denver. Respect to John Denver. <laughs> you know, like, like, let's well, talk about it. Let, let, we're talking about it. Then we're going to say that he was talking about Western Virginia. Okay, <laughs> he wasn't talking. He, he wasn't right. talking about West Virginia. Here's the situation. <laughs> this song isn't about West Virginia. It's oh, one of my favorite videos. So Transnistria was not recognized by Moldova or pretty much anyone else for that matter. But in reality, the Transnistrians won control of the region and Moldova just kind of agreed to leave them alone and let them do their own thing. And it still exists this way today. It's technically classified as a region in quotation, frozen conflict, kind of similar to Korea. Okay. So it's kind of like technically the war didn't like end to end. It's just everybody stopped fighting. Yeah, because and for, like people were tired of like killing each other. And for legal reasons, they could just start it back up at any time they wanted to. I don't think any of them really particularly want to. But okay. but but yes, it it's a frozen conflict region. Um and again, it's still not a recognized state by the vast majority of nations, but they have their own elections and they even have their own border checkpoints controlled by their state forces. Formally Weird. Formerly, they call their nation uh, the Pridnestrovian Moldovan Republic, um, and they have their own flag, which is actually the old Moldovan Soviet, the Moldovan Soviet Socialist Republic flag. They just took that old flag and said, "This is who we still are." It is the old Soviet Union flag of a red background with a gold hammer and sickle in the upper left-hand corner, but there's a single green horizontal stripe running across it. And the entire region is basically a like Soviet relic frozen in time. Weird. It's, it's still, they're still like, we're the Soviet union. Okay. Weird. In, in 2021. Like that's, that's, that's kind of the stance. That is very strange. It is extremely (laughs) strange. A bold stance to take. (laughs) 
truly i'm gonna yeah yeah no it, it gets bolder um so this this is where sheriff Terrasball exists this okay. this kind of plucky underdog team that just beat shock Donetsk. this is where they're from okay you might be wondering to yourself why does all that matter in the slightest when we're talking about a soccer team here well that's because the soccer team exists in much the same way, which is a team in the capital of a country that does not technically exist, buoyed along solely by their ties to industry and politics in said non-existent country. In 1993, in the power vacuum that still existed with the collapse of the Soviet Union, two men named Viktor Gushan and Ilya Kazmali set up Sheriff. Uh, the which was at that time just a kind of a, a bland corporate company name uh, in general. Uh, I believe they got their start with grocery stores. Um, the name and their five-pointed star logo, which resembles a sheriff badge, actually was inspired by Victor Gushan's obsession with American Western films. So weird. <laughs> so that is why there is a sheriff's badge team from Moldova in the Champions League right now, because one guy in 1993 really liked John Ford. Um, <laughs> that's that's uh, why that that's why no. that's the thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Now, because of Transnistria's isolation, not location, isolation from the rest of Moldova and the effort by many companies to get out of the region after it became clear that it was being run by separatist groups, which isn't good for business a lot of the time, um, Sheriff quickly grew into a monopoly corporation with dealings in just about everything you can think of. Sheriff in the in the in Tiraspol and in some other parts of Transnistria is the most prominent chain of grocery stores. It is also a chain of gas stations. It is a TV channel. It's a publishing house. Sheriff owns and operates a Mercedes Benz dealership. Uh, they have multiple bread and liquor factories that they own. I don't think they produce Smirnoff, but again, it would be funny if if they did, considering <laughs> the president for a long time of Transnistria, his last name was literally Smirnov. They ran a cell phone network. Uh, there's a five-star hotel that they are building currently and beginning in 1997, a soccer team. rebranded an existing team in Tiraspol as Sheriff. Uh, they, they took an existing team that was in the Moldovian second division. And they said, your name's Sheriff now, basically. Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> oh, it's a, a little red bully. I was um, going to say it's like Leipzig. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, a little, a little red bullish. Um, they were playing in the Moldovan second division. Sheriff took control of it, renamed it Sheriff, pumped a buttload of cash into this team. And they soon won promotion to the Moldovan first division. in just about a year's time, uh, because that's, that's how these things go. Yeah. It was not to be Sheriff's final success in soccer, clearly, as just like its parent company, Sheriff Tiraspol had aspirations to climb ever higher by whatever means necessary. Okay. And we are back for the second half of this podcast. Adam, you were just getting into the triumph, the initial triumph of Sheriff and their feet to make it to the Moldovan first division. But yes, there is a lot more to come. There was a lot more to come and there still is. But before we go much further 
we need to kind of lay out some some understandings about Moldova and specifically Moldova when we're talking about Moldova and money. Moldova is poor, like okay. really, really poor. Um, it's gotten better from where it was in the mid-2000s, but still not great. Um, it's still considered as one of the poorest European nations. Uh, in 2016, the United Nations pegged the country's absolute national poverty rate, which is more or less the amount of people that would that are struggling to pay for the things you need to simply exist, food, water, shelter, that sort of thing, um, at 9.6% of the country. Goodness gracious. Yeah, which figures to be about, at the time, 270,000 people in a nation of a bit under 3 million. I was going to say, out of 2.7 million people. <laughs> that's a, yeah, yes. Uh, that's nuts. a... Quick mouse. That that's a it's a, it's a healthy chunk. It's a yeah. it's a big chunk of your population that's just struggling to survive. Basically, um, within this very poor country, Transnistria is possibly even poorer because of its small space and the fact that no one recognizes it as a country and it kind of rules over itself. Moldova doesn't really want much to do with it. There's not really much opportunity for growth, as as one might expect. Um. The area is so poor and desolate that the population has shrunk by nearly a third since 1993, driven by people leaving the region, still dotted with statues of Lenin and Joseph Stalin. Oh, gosh. They they still have Stalin statues out there. It, it really is like a, a, a frozen Soviet. Yes. Yes. It's, it's like, it's it's like so they weird. said, the Soviet Union isn't over and we're in it. <laughs> That's that's what Transnistria is. Ah, oh, gosh, it's so sad. Um, in fact, it seems the only major business that really boomed in the Pridnestrovian Moldovan Republic over the course of its brief existence is illegal smuggling um, and semi-frequent disappearances of caches of weapons in Soviet-era warheads. Very um, nice. <laughs> No. Yeah, that's yeah, that's terrible. that's a thing. That's a thing that has happened there somewhat frequently. Um, Sheriff, unlike most of Transnistria and Moldova in general, does have money. Okay, yeah, because they are everything. They're yes, the cell phone network, they're the grocery store, they're mm-hmm. the transportation, they're literally yeah. every every facet of your life. You're dealing with sheriff. Yeah, they're and like a monopoly. Even- even your favorite soccer team is now sheriff. <laughs> they're they're a monopoly company in their home region. Like yeah. pretty much, there, there's there's other companies that exist in Transnistria, but Sheriff is easily one of the biggest, if not the biggest, company in the region. Sheriff um, is like what people in America think Amazon actually is. I mean, Amazon's sure. getting close, but Sheriff is like <laughs> Amazon's, a whole Amazon's definitely trying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazon, I'm sure, would love to be there. Yes, uh, yes. Sheriff is out there doing it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Sheriff has money thanks to being more or less a mon- uh, monopoly in their home region, and therefore Sheriff Tiraspol, unlike soccer clubs in most of Transnistria and Moldova in general, has money. According to a report by The Athletic, Sheriff Tiraspol is actually the only club in Moldova that actually owns its own stadium. Wow. wow. Which... That is it's, crazy. Yeah, it's stadium and the stadium complex, uh, which is a full training complex with uh, 18 fields that surrounds the actual stadium. 
just outside the city, is valued around two hundred million dollars estimated uh, that it that it cost about two hundred mil to build. That's a good chunk. That was double Moldova's national budget in two thousand four. Good lord! Yeah, I, I I do want to note because I don't know for our American fan base that's listening, it's not normal for American sports teams to own stadiums. Like it's it's owned by the city that they're in for the most part. A lot of the time, yeah, but. For overseas soccer teams, it's usually owned by the club itself. So it is strange that Moldova only has one club that owns their stadium. Yeah, I don't actually know the rate of which which teams own their own stadiums or which or and and how much they are owned by like municipally owned stadiums. I actually have no idea what that rate is in Europe. So. You said that, and I was thinking to myself, I don't know if that's right or not, but I can't really say anything about it. <laughs> um, I just know that in Moldova, there is only one club that owns its own stadium, and it's Sheriff. Uh, all other clubs in Moldova pay rent agreements on municipal stadiums in order to play anywhere at all. Uh, there was actually, in that athletic article, there was a an anecdote about a team that had driven its team bus to... Uh, to play sheriff and they had parked it behind a stand uh, and it was discovered by the journalist that that van was like literally the only thing that the team owned. Okay. Like that was its, that was its one piece that would, that that was its one major like thing that it owns. That's it. Goodness. Yeah. So, so, so we're talking about like, again, much like the region, pretty, pretty poor teams here. Yes. Um, similar to what we talked about in our last episode about Russian soccer, uh, Sheriff employs something of a typical Russian oligarch owning a team strategy (laughs) when it comes to the success of their squad, which is buying up as much foreign talent as they can, uh, grabbing whoever they can get to come to Transnistria. And this includes a very heavy South American and African presence in their team which was further strengthened by a rule change in Moldova, which happened uh, just a year or two ago. Previously, it was a rule that you all Moldovan teams ha- had to start at least four Moldovan players uh, in every lineup that they had. Uh, oh, wow. And now there is no requirement at all for the starting 11s. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so Sheriff basically made their team a whole lot better because they – got to stop playing Moldovan players. Uh, Sheriff Tiraspol's Champions League roster includes only five Moldovan players now, and three of them are goalkeepers. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, most most leagues have some sort of homegrown rule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but having to start for people from your country, I a lot of... I know a lot of clubs in England would... Oh yeah, a lot of Premier League teams would would (laughs) be SOL, like straight up, Yeah, uh, pretty tough for them. (laughs) So, how did Sheriff and Sheriff Tiraspol get all this money? Well, basically, it's hard to say. You can't really say it with much confidence. Um, As far as most people can tell, Victor Gushan, who still runs both Sheriff the Company and Sheriff the Soccer Club, has really only given one public interview, uh, and that was with Vanity Fair in 2005. Uh, And he said, regarding his region, the following. 
Bring any businessman from France or the United States here and he'll hang himself in six months. The Transniester stamp is not recognized internationally. Nothing is allowed. We have had to operate between things. Okay. <laughs> between things. Between things. So make of, that, make of that what you will, 100%. <laughs> Uh, and also consider that uh, Vladimir Smirnov, the son of former President Ivan Smirnov, and leader uh, at the time when I was in, con- in control of the country, uh, Vladimir, his son, was the leader of Transnistria's Customs Service for a long, long time. So the people in charge of controlling the borders and what goes in and out of them uh, was also widely thought to be a silent partner in Sheriff. In 2002, a Moldovan investigation into Transnistria Customs turned up over 300 counterfeit custom stamps that they were uh, okay. looking at on yeah. the border. Um, so, yeah, uh, if, you, if, if you're admitting in, in interviews that uh, nothing is allowed here and we have to operate between things, then you have a lot of ties to the government and the things that make the rules and are probably getting tax breaks and other things from them. It's probably not the most difficult thing in the world to make money in that position. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Tracking with me, tracking with me here. Former Soviet States. We're, we're all in on, we're all in on operating between things. Yes. In fact, Sheriff is so closely entwined with politics in their region that it's not a stretch to say that the company that owns the soccer team almost runs the entire country. Uh, again, that does not exist. The country that doesn't exist, this company runs it. Um, yes. In addition to Vladimir allegedly being a partner in the company, which was never, I think, confirmed, uh, he and his father Ivan also granted share of tax breaks and lessened import costs for them uh, in exchange for the company's political support. But in the 2000s, however, Sheriff jumped ship from the Smirnov family and laid its support to a new political party called Renewal, which they helped win elections due to the fact that Sheriff owns multiple media companies, <laughs> which they used to spread some propaganda. Yeah. Good old fashioned propaganda, oh, baby. Yes. That's what it's all about. <laughs> it wasn't until 2012 after Ivan Smirnov, Smirnov finally left office that new president, uh, Yevgeny Shevchuk, I, I mean Russian pronunciation. I'm just doing my best out here. <laughs> uh, Shevchuk ended the financial breaks given to Sheriff, uh, and actually, as recently as this year in 2021, Sheriff were accused of electoral fraud for offering people twenty five dollars, uh, twenty five USD, so twenty five US dollars to vote in an election. Um, <laughs> Weird. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. They are a company used to getting what they want, uh, where they are at. Like, is it worth it for people to get paid 25 US dollars? Like, I'm sure that's not easy to convert in tourist pool, but I don't know. Well, yeah, kind of, but also it, it kind of is, I don't know. It has its own currency in tourist ball, which is the only place that that use that that currency is used it's not legal tender in moldova but usd is legal tender in moldova so you can use oh, us okay. dollars anywhere oh. else probably besides tiraspol and it's actually crazy 
it's actually like the level of poverty in Transnistria is such that $25 is like a really big deal okay. to a lot of people that probably live in that region. Well, it's also crazy that Moldova accepts United States currency as a. I mean, most. I mean, it, it's it's accepted in terms of like exchange rate. Yeah, yeah. Like you can go to Moldova with U.S. dollars for in and and find a place in Moldova where they will exchange it for yeah. common currency. Uh, okay. For common national cu- okay. currency, yeah. Moldova won't exchange Transnistrian currency. Yeah, it's actually it doesn't have any value. Well, I mean, I, well, I, well, now we're talking about currency value and what currency does have real value. It's all pixie dust. It's all made up. It's, it's all, all made pixie up, baby. Dust, man, <laughs> by the dip of Evergrande. Um, yeah, they should be giving out like fractions of Bitcoin. To- <laughs> Let me get some Ethereum, baby. <laughs> No, uh, so it's. I think it's actually illegal in Moldova to carry Transnistrian money. Um, so okay. it's it's a difference between I can exchange this money for like a lot of money, a lot of my my home country's money, kind of thing, versus this money yeah. is worthless everywhere else but here, this place where we still have Joseph Stalin. And actually, it's a crime to have so, this money in every other place. Sure, here's Paul, but here. <laughs> questionable shall we say uh in their ownership and their connections and the politics and everything that goes down it's there are probably some crimes uh there's probably some international law being violated (laughs) uh but yeah sheriff is a company sheriff is a company used to getting what they want and what they want includes soccer success which sheriff tiraspol has achieved in spades uh, mostly thanks to no one else in Moldova really having any money. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now Sheriff Tiraspol has won 19 of the last 21 Moldovan titles. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's so, a pretty decent clip. No, it's a, it's a really good ratio for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Because when you can actually go out and sign players and give them ample space to work and real money and contracts and stuff, and literally no one else in the country can, you tend to be better than the teams that can't do that, you know? Um, Science, man. That's the science. (laughs) In in, uh, recent months and years, they have sold players to clubs in Russia, Saudi Arabia, and even in the last couple of years to teams in Ligue 1 and Serie A trying to adopt a similar philosophy to the club they just beat in the Champions League, Shakhtar Donetsk. If you remember, we just talked and joked about how it seemed like there was just a never-ending supply of just under-the-radar Brazilians that played at Shakhtar Donetsk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sheriff kind of wants to do something similar a little bit. Um, Last season, Sheriff finished atop the 10-team Moldovan National Division, with a record of 32 wins, three draws, and one loss, while tallying 116 goals and allowing seven. <laughs> they had a goal differential on the season of plus 109. Good Lord. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's um, ridiculous. That is actually ridiculous. <laughs> and actually, it, it seems like um, 
it seems like usually the Moldovan First Division is actually only eight teams because this season I only see eight teams on the table and the season before last season uh, I saw eight teams in the table, but last season for whatever reason there was 10. I don't really know what happened there. Um, if anybody, any experts in the Moldovian First Division can can help me out. Uh, I hope that's much appreciated. But yeah, last year there was 10 teams uh, and they just ran game. So, <laughs> so, completely utterly. So you're saying that uh, Sheriff is what people it is actually what people think PSGR in League Um, where like, yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Like people say that PSG is the only team in France, but I mean there are other good teams in France, but Sheriff is like the only good team in Moldova. Like, I mean the people- only good team. People throw out the term Farmers League, derogatorily <laughs> speaking. Yes, yes. But like Moldova is like primarily like poor agricultural land. So it's they're, like they're a literal farmers it's a, league. It's literally a farmers <laughs> league that, that we're talking about here. Half and the, then half the squads are probably part time farmers. I I I would I would imagine it's like something somewhat similar in a lot of these teams too. Like, you know, you hear like in whenever Germany draws with Gibraltar or something like that in in some qualifying tournament and everybody goes off about, oh, 75% of Gibraltar's national team is semi-pros and they're all firemen and stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean there's... it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of Moldovan players in the Moldovan first division were semi-pro. I was going to say, because there, there's no way unless you're playing for Sheriff and you're like, one of the top 15 players for that team or sure top 22 players for that team you're not making a living wage playing in the first division in moldova there's no way i i mean you you might be but i don't i don't know for sure um there is it's it's in general it's a very like uh it's a very top heavy league um there's usually always a couple people that are towards the top with Sheriff. Um, one that pops up a bunch of times is uh, Petrocube, Petrocub. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but they're a lot of the time right up there. But then you'll go down to like the bottom of the table and it'll be teams with like 10 points on the season. Yeah. <laughs> and those those people probably aren't making a living playing yeah. soccer. I would imagine they have to they have to have other jobs at the same time. Yeah. So, all that to say, if you're looking for a plucky underdog story to follow in this year's Champions League, well, the corporately owned state-backed soccer team from a country that doesn't technically exist and whose money is probably partially built upon illegal smuggling, including but not limited to the alleged black market sale of Cold War era weapons, probably isn't quite the underdog story that you think they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably shouldn't cheer, cheer for them. <laughs> I don't know if you should or should not, despite the fact that, yes, they are technically speaking, the first Moldovan team to make the Champions League group stage, even though the people that cheer for the team probably wouldn't call themselves Moldovan. Uh, And yes, they did in fact beat Shakhtar Donetsk from the friendly confines of their $200 million soccer complex, which again, cost more than their entire country's budget a couple years ago to build. (laughs) Yeah, that's... uh... It's not. I don't even know what to think of that. If you're it, looking for a plucky underdog to to pick, I mean, you should look no further than Malmo. Honestly, <laughs> well, sure. Is is Roman Gall still at Malmo? 
Dude, I don't know. Maybe you're the, you're, uh, you're the the man with the pulse on the U.S. Nationals plane. I well, I everywhere. actually I actually interviewed him um, for at the athletic. Uh, yeah, he still is with Momo. He kind of fell off. Like he he had a he he was a a big kind of breaking into their first team and making like some serious noise with scoring a lot of goals. And then he kind of fell off last season and didn't get a lot of playing time. So I'm not sure what's happening, but uh, the Google says he's still there. So that's cool. His number is still, I I think I still have his number saved somewhere in my email or something like that. Um, (laughs) Slight flex. Uh, (laughs) He's a cool guy though. He was a, he was a cool interview. Uh, And I hope that he, kind of comes back from Momo. So yeah, uh, cheer for Momo instead of Sheriff uh, until we discover some like horrifying details about Momo's Yeah, I'm sure there's something terrible. There's definitely something. (laughs) So instead of of the plucky underdog story here, Sheriff is more kind of a study in post-Cold War politics and power struggles as the club's rise is inextricably tied to the peculiarities of the breakaway region they're located in. Of course, to local fans who none of this is their fault. Um, It's a source of civic pride and civic pride means a whole lot in a non-recognized country that still has a hammer and sickle on its flag, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. And to players, it's a chance to be seen where they might never have before. A couple of players of note on Sheriff's current roster, Adama Traore. What? One of multiple Adama Traore oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on Mali's national team. I think there's two or three of them that play for Mali, and none of them include the Adama Traore that plays for Spain and Wolves. The real um, Adama Traore. <laughs> who was born, who is, who is also, his parents are from Mali. So okay. Adama Traore is just a super popular Very Malian common name. name. <laughs> it's uh, like Muhammad. <laughs> or John Smith. Like yeah, yeah. it's it's just it's just a name that occurs a lot there, I guess. Yeah. Uh they have one of the Adama Triores that plays for Mali. Um there's also CONCACAF representation on Sheriff's team. Okay. There is a teenage defender. I think he's he's a fullback. Uh he's Trinidadian. His name's Julian. Um which is which I just thought was interesting. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, you definitely like it's just such a random place for players from Concacaf to to pop up, but there he is. Yeah. Um, and how far will they go in the Champions League? Uh, time will tell for sure. But I, I think it's always worth remembering that the star shining atop Moldovan soccer is the one created in the black hole of the Soviet Union. And I just thought it was a really interesting story to tell. So I decided to tell it this week. No, it was an awesome story. So some sources for uh, the kind of tangled political, geopolitical history that gave rise to Sheriff Terrace Ball, uh, current Champions League darlings, if you want to call them that. Uh, Nick Miller for The Athletic, uh, Hannah Jarzebek for The Equal Times, The Associated Press, UEFA, and V. Soloviev for Russia Daily Online. Very nice. Thank you for that story, Adam. That was that was really interesting. And I mean, like, I'm sure there are a lot of people that don't know about Sheriff Terrace Pool at all. So I, I'm sure it was very informative for a, a current team in the Champions League that will soon get a lot of visibility 
And I'm sure there are a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm going to cheer for them because I've never heard of them before. And it's just this Moldovan side. But with <laughs> just most they, teams they literally, in, they literally play Real Madrid next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say most teams at the top tier of European football come with a tad of controversy. So yeah. The team These guys that you are no think, different. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the team that you think that you're picking that is awesome to cheer for probably isn't that awesome to cheer for. But, you know, you, I guess... I mean, you, we're, I mean, literally cheering for any sports team is you have to undertake some measure of cognitive dissonance. Why are we sports fans? That's a great question. <laughs> That's a great, wow, great why, question. Why is soccer so beautiful but why so tainted? Sport? God, the uh, like the the Bills owners suck, dude. Uh, like, <laughs> and there are Bills players that suck. And yeah, they're just are. United players that suck, and there are Borussia Dortmund like players. Seventy-five percent of the Buffalo Bills <laughs> wide receiving cores are anti-vax truthers. Oh, man, it is what it is. We probably just Anywho. lost a couple listeners with that statement, but it's well, totally well, fine. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, <laughs> stop being dumb. Get vaccinated <laughs> and start living your life. Uh, yeah, if they're if they're uh, listening to, the, to this podcast, they probably know what we're about, anyways. So it's not. And if they deal. don't, now they do, and now I'm not going to apologize <laughs> yeah, for that, baby. Not at all. Uh, if you liked this story, I personally loved it, and I hope you did as well. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and you like stories that the Dead Ball Brothers tell? You can support us online. By following us at DeadballPod on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Facebook. You can leave us a rating and review. We're not really supposed to tell you what to give us, but we prefer a star uh, number that is higher than lower if you're catching my drift. (laughs) We have merch that is super hot. We talked about getting some new merch, but we haven't yet. But we still have our... All of our it's old been, merch. <laughs> it's been such an unexpectedly busy year. It's been a weird year, man. It has been a weird year. But we still have the same consistent merch. <laughs> Just delivering um, yeah. that you can find in the tea, uh, in the link in the description below. Yes. Um, our little Teespring store, which is good fun. You can also drop us an email at deadballpod at gmail.com if you have any questions, concerns, or a story you'd like us to talk about on the podcast. We'll give you a shout out. We'll also give you a shout out if you give us a rating and review. Yeah. I think that's everything. I don't, I don't I think, think there's I anything think you, else that I need to say. Drew, I think you did a phenomenal job. Wow. Thank uh, you so and, much. And covered all of it. So, Once again, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next week, my name is Adam Whitaker-Snavely. And I'm Drew. And we love you very much. Super platonically, platonic kisses to all of you. Bye-bye.